and you're listening to a sermon from Bent Tree Church in Loveland, Colorado. For more information about Bent Tree, visit BentTreeChurch.com. And this week, we're going to look ahead to where this discipleship pathway goes from here. This is going to be a topical exposition on the biblical theme of following Christ. And to launch our sermon off, I wanted to have a focused passage, and it comes from Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, which says, Iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Today, I want to show you how Christ's call to discipleship is not optional for the believer. It requires action, commitment, and sharpening one another so that our discipleship is effective. When we disciple one another in the local church body, not only are we being prepared to be a witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're also being prepared to be sent out to be the hands and feet of Jesus to a hurt, a lost, a dying world, to the widow and the orphan. In the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah describes the role of the coming Messiah, Jesus, in Isaiah 61 verse 1. Let's look at that together. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. The main points that we're going to uncover today, unpack, are why we need discipleship in the first place, what keeps us from discipleship. And what Bentry's role is, what the church's role is in making and releasing disciple makers. But before we dive in, let's go ahead and go to God in prayer. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for your word. It's like a double-edged sword that cuts straight to the heart. God, I pray that you would do that now, that um, as we listen to what you have to say on the theme of discipleship from your word, I pray that you would speak to us. Would you begin to change and mold us? God, just like that song said, you are more than enough for all that we need. And so right now we rely on you and your word. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would come and fill this place. Would you change hearts and lives today? In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. So in early April 1945, at Flossenburg Concentration Camp in a remote region of Nazi Germany, just weeks before the camp itself would be liberated by Allied forces. Theologian and pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer was one of the last prisoners to be put to death by hanging. But what was his crime? Well, like the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament, Bonhoeffer was led by God to stand against a wicked ruler and a wicked government. As an undercover agent for the German resistance movement, Bonhoeffer would be instrumental in several attempts to assassinate Hitler. And he would also go on to help several Jews evade capture, even as he himself was thrown into prison. While in prison, many of the fellow prisoners and even prison guards would be led to Jesus by Bonhoeffer and discipled by them. He even led worship services in the prison. He wasn't ashamed to share the gospel of Christ Jesus That he died for the sins of both the Gentiles and the Jews. Bonhoeffer's writings on relational discipleship have become mainstays on the topic of following Jesus. The cost of discipleship 
and life together have inspired generations of Christ followers to examine true biblical discipleship. And even in his day, he saw this disillusionment in the church where people would hop from church to church looking for the perfect place to be a part of, the perfect group of people, the the best preaching and the best music. That was happening back then too. And he recognized that the antidote for for this uh, disillusionment with the church is relational discipleship. He believed that that's where serious spiritual growth takes place, where people begin to see one another as fellow humans and not as Jew or Gentile, black or white, but each one created in the image of the creator. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a disciple after God's own heart. He followed wherever Jesus led him. And even on his way to the gallows, Bonhoeffer spoke these final words to a fellow prisoner. This is the end. For me, the beginning of life. Bonhoeffer's story is a powerful example of what Christ can do with just one of his disciples. So let's talk about why discipleship is important, why we actually need it, and why Bonhoeffer would make it his life's mission to go and make disciples of Christ Jesus. I want to start by reminding us of what a definition, our definition of what discipleship is and disciple. But first I want to tell you what these uh, terms aren't, what they're not. Discipleship's not a degree. Discipleship's not a test or final exam. It's not Bible trivia. Discipleship is not a church program, and it doesn't just happen on Sundays. Discipleship's not a spectator sport, and it's not a popularity contest. Discipleship's not a spiritual report card that you'll show Jesus once you get to heaven. Discipleship can't save you. And most importantly, discipleship will not and cannot make you any more justified in the sight of God. It just simply can't. It can't give you life, better health or more wealth, as the false prosperity gospel claims. Discipleship is not some generic term that we use to describe the entirety of the Christian life. Discipleship is also, it's not a weapon that we use to wield against each other put others down or to spread gossip in the church. Now, there is a lot that discipleship does include, and that's what each of the peaks on the discipleship pathway is trying to represent. But without a shared definition, people will use the same words to describe different things. And without clarity on what it is we're actually talking about, we won't get very far in actually doing it, right? Bentry's partner in ministry, John Halleff, He calls this disciple faking, not disciple making. And at Ventry, our definition of disciple comes from Matthew 4, 19, where Jesus calls out to the fishermen, Peter and Andrew. He says this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Using this verse, we define a disciple as, you can write this down, a person who follows Jesus, follow me is transformed by Jesus, and I will make you, and joins Jesus on his mission. When we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, our sins are imputed to Christ. His righteousness 
is imputed to us. God no longer sees us as his enemies, but as his adopted children. And it's at this moment of being adopted, being born again, which is called the doctrine of justification, when we become disciples of Christ Jesus and we begin to follow him. Recently, I heard Dr. Chris Osborne, a professor at Southwestern Seminary, say, say this about discipleship. Discipleship is becoming so clear on who Christ is that you don't care where he leads you. Now, it's that second part of our definition of disciple where we, where we see this lifelong process of sanctification. When Jesus says, I will make you fishers of men, he's talking about giving up control to be remade. This is referring to our becoming more like Jesus, which means we aren't there yet. We're becoming. And here's our next point. God uses discipleship for our transformation. God uses discipleship for our transformation. The 12 disciples were pretty rough guys in the world's eyes, to say the least. They weren't the ideal candidates to follow anyone, anyone, let alone the Son of Man. But this transformation or sanctification that Jesus offered them would prepare them for the mission that he was calling them to. It's found in the passage of Scripture we've unpacked throughout this series, this mission that Jesus has called us to. It's called the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. Here it is. This is Christ's call to discipleship. Jesus entrusted the continuation of his earthly ministry to these ordinary guys. And just like the covenant made with Abraham, God would use messed up, imperfect people to fulfill the new covenant. This command to go and make disciples has been passed down from generation to generation for over 2,000 years. And it's passed down to us. God entrusts us with this mission. And this was not some inspirational speech that Jesus was giving. It's not some famous last words, and it's not just a recommendation. And that's why it's not called the great suggestion. As Jesus says in John 4, 15, 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. As we learned a few weeks ago, the one who truly loves Jesus is the one that does what he commands them to do. So let's go back to that time when Jesus ascended into heaven after giving the Great Commission. Do you think that the 11 disciples were 100% ready for the mission he was called them to, calling them to? Do you think they were ready? No, absolutely not. They were still imperfect. They were still, in fact, being transformed in discipleship. The gift of the Holy Spirit would now be with them, and it's with us today as believers. We're not ready when Jesus calls us either. And that's okay. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And here's our next point. We need discipleship to obey Jesus' commandments. We need discipleship to obey Jesus' commandments. 
When we do what Jesus commands us to do in Scripture, not only are we being made into disciple makers, but we're being transformed from the inside out. But what is it that God wants to transform us into? In 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18, the Apostle Paul says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. From this scripture, we can see that the process of becoming spiritually mature through discipleship, the Holy Spirit is transforming us into the image that beholds or reflects the glory of the Lord. And remember, you can't be a true disciple, a true follower of Christ, if he is not both Savior and Lord over your life. He wants to make us more like himself, to reflect the glory of the Lord more and more, from glory to glory, as we grow in spiritual maturity. So this all sounds well and good, right? But why are there so many disciples in the church that are still spiritual infants? Why are there 30, 50, 60, 80-year-old fat babies that Paul warned us about? Remember that? Well, for one thing, our pride is keeping us from that. The sin of pride. And when we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, what remains of our old sin nature, our flesh and its desires, is at war against the spirit that dwells within us. Pride is a huge area of sin that keeps followers of Christ from actually living the life they were called to live. Pride is like the boulder that trips us up on the discipleship pathway. Pride says things like, I'm too busy to help disciple someone this week. My job's too important to risk sharing the gospel at work. Or, I've served in ministry for decades. I've done my part. Or this, if I'm going to serve at church, it'll be on my terms. It'll be how I want to serve. Trust me, the steps on the discipleship pathway will work to humble you. They certainly humble me. Even the most mature believers have areas of their walk with God that they need to develop. And for those that are too busy to even think about discipling others or to be discipled by someone else, let me ask you this question. What are you saying yes to that makes you say no to connecting with others in discipleship? What are you saying yes to that makes you say no to connecting with others in discipleship? One of our leadership team values at Ventry is called guarding the house. And we get it from the sports world. It means guarding your teammates, protecting the team. And in terms of leadership, we take it to mean, how are we spending our time? How are we protecting our teammates from burnout, from taking on too much or doing too many tasks or projects? It means keeping our priorities in check. And our tagline for this leadership value is this. You could write this down. Say no to good things to be able to say yes to the best. Say no to good things to be able to say yes to the best things. I love that. Listen, some of the good things that we're filling up our weeks with are keeping us from Christ's call to discipleship. James 5.16 says this, 
Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Accountability is a huge part of our spiritual growth. This is where you let a spiritual parent or parents speak into your life to help you see where the sin of pride and, and sin in general is, has crept into your life and is keeping you from relational discipleship. Another thing that keeps us from engaging in this process is simply our fear. Fear of what others will think of us. Fear, fear of, um, I'm not good enough or um, I don't have what it takes. I'm not smart enough. Fear that I'll have to share my struggles, my hurts, my baggage. It says things like, I've been hurt by someone in the church before. I'm surely not going to open up again. And one of the biggest lies from the enemy is this, and we often fall into this. No one else has gone through what I've gone through. No one else is going through what I'm going through. Or even more specifically, the enemy will say, no one else is going through what I'm going through exactly. They're kind of going through it, but mine's different. My past is different. Baloney! Balagna! However you want to pronounce it. The more you commit to the process of discipleship and connecting with others in the local church body, the more you're going to see that everyone, and I mean absolutely everyone, has hurt. They have baggage. They have failures and setbacks. But God wants to use that. He wants to use our past, our failures, our flaws, our hurts, to re- and redeem them by the power of the Holy Spirit. And maybe you remember this from starting point, Bentry members. This is why we call it Bentry Church. It's a little sneak peek, but these, there's these really old, gnarly pine trees. That's what they're called, gnarly pine trees, up in Rocky Mountain National Park. Not the straight ones, the bent ones. And and they are over a thousand years old, some of them. And throughout their lives, they've been scarred by what has been pushed against them. The wind, the rain, well, the rain probably helps. But they've been scarred by lightning and fire and, and throughout their life. But God has made them into a beautiful creation. And just like the Christ follower, God wants to redeem us and make us into a beautiful creation. You can write this down. Your life experience will be used by God, the good, the bad, the ugly, will be used by God to help you disciple others. Your life experience will be used by God to help you disciple others. Towards the end of 1 Peter chapter 5, the Apostle Peter tells us exactly what we should do about our pride and our fear. Starting with verse 5, he says, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, 
will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. One more. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. One more important thing or area that is keeping us from fulfilling the Great Commission and is this. For many of us, myself included, this may be one of the biggest struggles because we live in one of the wealthiest nations in the world. And we live in one of the most beautiful places on earth, in my humble opinion. And that struggle is this, our quest for comfort. Our quest for comfort. And when I say comfort, I mean things like money, property, nice houses, and cars. Comfort is when we wake up in the morning, we turn on the TV, and we binge watch entire seasons of Stranger Things. Am I the only one that does that? Well, at least those of you that don't have kids can do that. Um, We also idolize comfort when we put recreational activities, vacations, or even our workout schedule ahead, above Christ's command to go and make disciples. This is especially true in Colorado. Now, I'm not saying that hiking, hunting, camping, or going on trips, or enjoying entertainment are necessarily bad things in and of themselves, and that we shouldn't do them. We should absolutely enjoy the blessings God has given us. But there may be too many of these good things that we're filling up our weeks with that keep us from sharing our faith, connecting with others in the church, serving in the body of Christ, and going and making disciples of all nations. Our comfort can include that sense of security we get from a retirement plan or used to get from a retirement plan, right? Now, I know that many in Loveland are retired and many in our church are retirees, And there's nothing wrong with retirement itself, but I've also known people that not only they retire from their careers, they retire from biblical relational discipleship too. Some even make it their life's mission to be so comfortable in retirement that they fall into the trap of complacency with their faith. The enemy wants older Christ followers to retire from relational discipleship. And there are many former spiritual parents that need to get back on the mountain. Listen close. If you're still breathing, if you're still sucking in wind, you still have a role to play on the discipleship pathway. We are blessed by God to be a blessing to others. You are still called to Jesus' mission. And it's not just a good thing that he calls us to. It is the best thing. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Discipleship is not storing up treasure on earth. It's storing up treasure in heaven. It's not to become a better you or to live the best life now or to live in your truth. It's to grow into the true identity as a child of God made in his image. It's not making the world a better place For the next generation. 
It's leading the next generation to Christ so that they can make disciples after we're gone all the way until Jesus comes back. Americans have so many freedoms that most other people in the world simply don't have. And let's not take that for granted. Let's not waste it. The freedoms we enjoy, especially when it comes to living out our faith and sharing the gospel, are quite literally under attack right now, aren't they? They may be gone very soon, especially if you don't vote. So where is all of this headed, though? Where do we go from here? Well, we are not at war against flesh and blood. We're in a spiritual battle. We have an enemy that wants to steal, kill, and destroy us, that wants to distract us from what God has called us to do. Together, we need to prepare for the enemy's attacks. Another proverb that speaks to sharpening one another and our need for companionship is, is this, Proverbs eighteen twenty four: A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Have you ever experienced this? I, I certainly have. There are brothers in Christ in this room and at Bentry that have spoken into my life over the years. They've provided that encouragement, accountability, that voice has said where I was going off. And they're brothers in arms. They've walked with me through some of the darkest times of my life, times when I thought there was no way out, where the pain was unbearable. But I'm confident that if God didn't bring these men into my life to disciple me, to speak into my life, I would have not gone very deep into Scripture. I would not have grown a passion for the Word of God. I wouldn't have been inspired to share the gospel with others or even preach it. I would have not met my wife. I would have fallen into so many bad decisions that I've wanted to make over the years and the ones I did make. Many times, the ones that speak into your life the most aren't related to you. There are other brothers and sisters in Christ who will stick closer to you than your own family. And that's why we call it the Bentry family. They can get to know you deeply and speak truth when you need to hear it. Another proverb says this in Proverbs 27, 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. This is saying that being discipled and sharpened by connecting with a brother or sister in Christ, it will hurt your feelings. True friends will correct you out of love and concern. But a disciple faker will let sin go unchecked. And this is where this messiness kicks in, obviously. Our discipleship will never be perfect because we're not perfect. You may only be able to help someone grow in a few areas because you're still a spiritual infant in others. Although you will build lifelong friendships through this process, people may move away or your closeness to them may only be for a season. But don't worry. Imperfect discipleship is discipleship. We're going to mess this stuff up. We're not going to say the right thing when we confront a brother or sister. We're going to have to ask for forgiveness. We're also going to have to forgive others constantly. Now, don't take this to mean that members of Bentry have a license to point out other people's flaws in the church. 
Make sure that you've done the work of building a relationship with them first and that they've agreed to this kind of arrangement, this accountability, before you tell them the truth. In our church body, our elders are ultimately responsible for the shepherding and overseeing of the spiritual health of our member families, including children. Now, they, they can't do the work for you, but they will be a pastor that will help encourage and guide you along the pathway. If you're a covenant member of Bentry, our shepherding elders will help connect you with spiritual parents who will walk beside you to help you grow into spiritual maturity. And soon they can also help connect you with a less mature believer that you can disciple. So let's look at how the early church did this. In the book of Acts, Acts 2, 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. When I said earlier that discipleship is not just on Sundays, what I meant was don't just come on Sundays. That's not full discipleship. The early church got it right. Day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. Our large, our large gathering each week is an important part of discipleship for sure. We need to hear the word of God preached every week as part of our worship and our spiritual growth. But if you're not intentionally connecting, reaching out to others in the church, you're missing the point. Start to get to know others. Join our, join our growing list of people that want to be in a D3 group. And you D3 group leaders, start training up a co-leader to be sent out from the group because we need to multiply our groups. All of this, all that we've talked about so far is part of what we call the three C's. You can write this down. We need connection, commitment, and care. We need connection, commitment, and care. We need to be committed to being held accountable to others and not just the shepherding elders. We need brothers and sisters in the church that share that same commitment with us. The shared responsibility of obeying Jesus together means not only do we become sharper and more effective, but we can have that care that only our spiritual family can provide. Both spiritual and physical needs Ventriers care deeply about one another. And this is why we want you to become an active member of the church. Don't just be a regular attender. And notice I said active member. Don't be a bench warmer. Get out into the field. Start serving on a serving team, especially if you're a member. And don't wait for us to contact you. Have your people contact us. And in terms of becoming a member, please know this. Our shepherding elders are not responsible for every sheep that passes by the pasture, so to speak, looking for a place to feed. They're only responsible for the ones that God has entrusted to Bentry Church's care. 
Those who have entered into covenant membership with Bentry. If you don't make the commitment to be a part of a Bible-believing local church body, you are missing out on what God has for you. And it doesn't have to be Bentry, but I would love to tell you why it should be. Come find me. Okay, so far we've looked at why we need discipleship, how our sin, our pride, our fear, and our quest for comfort can keep us from fulfilling the Great Commission. And we've also talked about how the church should do discipleship. And my last point is this, and it's, a very, it's the very first word that Jesus spoke in the Great Commission. Go. Let's get started. Not sure where to start on the pathway? Well, the perfect place to start is at the beginning. But before you even do that, do this. Go to God in prayer. Ask God to show you where you can begin to grow in your own faith. Test what we've preached in this series against scripture. Study biblical discipleship for yourself. Ask him to help you take that first step on the pathway and the next step after that and the next step after that. We will be easing into this process together over the next several months, so don't worry. We're not just going to put it up on a wall and hope you look at it from time to time. And I highly recommend, if you haven't done yet, so yet, that you go and check it out online, bentreechurch.com slash pathway. You can also scan that QR code in front of you and click on the um, Discipleship Pathway tab. And online is where you're going to find an important toolbox of resources that will help you get to know what each step means, what we're talking about, and what action steps you can take. As our shepherding elders make visits to your D3 group and get to know our members better, they will help each of us identify both our, where to start and where to go next. Your D3 group leader can help with this too, and really any other member that you trust that can speak into your life and, and you can work on this together. Now, all of us need a more spiritually mature believer in Christ to, the, to disciple us. No one is exempt from this. And just as important as discipling adults, parents of students and kids, you are the primary disciple maker of your children. That's right. you, you are, whether you like it or not. Someone is going to disciple them. And we want to help you be the primary disciple maker so that as we help you grow in your faith, you can help them grow in theirs. Some of us who are older may have a younger person discipling them. That's okay too. And at the same time, someone else can be helping you grow in ways that you're lacking. You may be able to help them in ways that you're having success. The cool thing about it is that both the disciple and the discipler can grow in this process. And as Pastor Paul has said, our entire staff team, our leadership, our ministries of the church are dedicated to helping you share, connect, serve, and disciple. It will be a long process to get this ball rolling, so please be patient with us. And does this seem overwhelming to you yet? It, it is to me. Discipleship can be overwhelming, but don't worry. To close up our time together, I want to leave you with some encouragement found in the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 17. Sorry, Paul, we're skipping ahead a little bit. This is just an excerpt. It's just a small part of the prayer that Jesus spoke to God right before he was arrested 
and before he died on the cross. And I want you to see a very important point in what Jesus is saying here about his followers. And you may not see it at first, but I'll point it out. John chapter 17, 6 through 9, Jesus prays, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. So who is Jesus talking about here? Who's he praying for? Well, it's it's not the world. It's his disciples. It's the 11 that would be scattered to spread the gospel after Jesus went to heaven. And this is what gives me encouragement, and I hope it gives you encouragement as well. Jesus primarily invested most of his ministry into this small group of ragtag disciples. We don't do this alone. We can't do it alone. Making disciples of all nations is not a one man or one woman against the world kind of thing. God has given you people in your sphere of influence, both in the church and outside the church, that need to be set free by the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we do need more international mission trips and missionaries sent out from the church. But if you haven't noticed yet, you're in one of those areas of the world that needs to hear the gospel. We live in a place where so many have bought into a false gospel or they're quite literally running from God. Recent polls indicate that there are over 5 million people in the state of Colorado alone that need to hear the true gospel. Our mission field, it begins right here. After Jesus prays for his 11 disciples in John 17, he would then go on and pray for all of those who would believe. In John 17, 20 and 21. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So, who is God calling you to lead to Jesus, to share the gospel with? Who are the people in the church that you need to invest in through discipleship? Someone that you can help sharpen in the faith and in turn be sharpened yourself. How will you use your spiritual gift set, your MGM, your spiritual gifts, in the local church body to be the hands and feet of Jesus? Who do you need to make a disciple of? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for your word. Your word is true. And that we can find true comfort in you. God, I pray that we would seek you through this process, that you would show us where to begin, each one of us, areas of our life that we're too afraid to move in. God, I pray that you would break through that by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lead us to become a disciple-making church that sends out disciple-makers so that the kingdom of God grows through us. God, we want to see you famous throughout the world. And we want to start right here in Loveland. Help us to be the hands and feet of Jesus. 
God, I, I lift up each person in this room and that, that they would just go to you in prayer after today, that they would seek you. You would reveal to them how they can start on this discipleship pathway. We thank you for what you're going to do through Bentry and through believers here. We worship you, Father God. We want to continue in worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Bentry Church. To get connected at Bentry and for more information, please visit BentryChurch.com.